You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Research over the last 30 to 40 years has shown that the structure and function of the brain actually forms and evolves through our life experience. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and with me today is Dr. Alan Shore, a member of the clinical faculty of the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences at UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine and at the UCLA Center for Culture, Brain, and Development. He's the author of numerous books and articles in the areas of neuroscience, psychiatry, psychoanalysis, developmental psychology, pediatrics, and trauma. Welcome, Dr. Shore. Glad to be here. Thank you. We are discussing the mind-body connection in medicine first. What is a biopsychosocial approach to the understanding and treatment of disease? Okay, that term is a rather familiar one. It's been used for many years, but it's only recently that the science has really come to support the idea that in order to understand any individual and their problems with disease or their advantages in health, you have to understand that individual in the context of his relationships with other human beings in his environment. That means that the even at the biological level, human beings are interacting with other human beings in ways that either optimize their biological adaptiveness or that negate it. That means, therefore, that to understand uh, our patients, we have to understand them within the context not only of a biological paradigm, but also the unique nature of their psychology and also partly the culture in which they're in. So we're finally coming to a point now that psychology and biology are integrating in through these interdisciplinary studies, whereby this now has much meaning, and we'll talk about the meaning of that throughout this interview. Is there an artificial separation between biology and psychology in the mind of most physicians? Well, there is, uh, but there has always been a larger one in science also. I mean, the problem of the Cartesian problem of the split between mind and body uh, has always been problematic, but I think it has been particularly problematic for medicine in which you see this division between, for example, psychiatry going one way and neurology going another way. We are now understanding that there are psychological components of all physical disease and that all physical diseases, on the other hand, are affected by psychological factors. So that separation has to be overcome, I would suggest, actually for the most effective treatment of any patient really has to be seen in a more whole way in terms of both the the biological and the psychological aspects of their functioning. What does this really mean for the way physicians treat illness and injury? Well, the illness also is being impacted. Uh, Each individual brings to an illness uh, a unique coping mechanism so that we're not just talking about the diseases per se. We're not just talking about the bacterial infection of a certain organ system. We're also talking about the way that there are different coping capacities with illness, and we see that different personalities react differently in terms of their uh, illnesses and also in terms of their recovery. For example, the inability to take in comfort uh, from other human beings, etc. We are always homeostatically regulating each other, and therefore uh, the matter here of uh, physicians treating illness becomes critical. Essentially, it's also a matter of dealing more with just the objective aspect of the illness. It's also a matter of the subjective elements of the illness. 
And again, this would simply be because the, uh, the emotion processing limbic system and the immune system are tightly connected in the right brain. So are you saying that the nature of someone's relationship really affects their immune system? Absolutely. The studies have been done. These studies have shown that in the mother-infant relationship, they are co-regulating their immune systems for better or for worse. Studies have also been done in intense marital diets, showing that uh, both ends of the marital diet are co-regulating or co-dysregulating their immune systems, their endocrine systems, their autonomic nervous systems. And most recently, there has been evidence to show that in the psychotherapy relationship, that uh, also that there are psychobiological correlations between the two as they're co-regulating each other's uh, systems. So in a marital couple, if one has a serious illness, does the nature of their relationship affect their progress in treatment? Absolutely, and the studies show that in all the medical fields beyond psychiatry and psychosomatic medicine. But in cases of uh, severe illness, whether they be neurological or psychiatric illness, we're now looking at a systems situation here also with uh, children and, and, and adults. We're also looking as part of the context has to be looked at also. And the reason, again, is because you're seeing here more than just a contact between two minds. You're also seeing it psychobiologically. You're looking at psychobiological attunement. And here's the new piece of it, that it's more than just a meeting of minds. They're also the bodies are being affected by our relationships with other human beings. That's the way we start out, incidentally, in the mother-infant diet and the attachment, and that's the way that it always is for the rest of the lifespan. Could you describe a typical research study in this area to give our listeners a deeper understanding of how they measure these processes? Both the marital studies and the mother-infant studies, two different forms of diet, are looking usually at at, uh, correlations of autonomic measures. They seem to be the most important ones. That is the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous systems, as they are uh, co-activated or as they uh, literally separate and decouple in cases of stress. In cases of that, and synchrony, you see the synchronization of their autonomic nervous systems. In cases of stress, you see a decoupling. This study also is using uh, biochemical uh, markers also, for example, looking at variations on both sides of a dyad in terms of, let's say, the stress hormone cortisol or corticotropin-releasing factors or opiates, uh, endorphins. It has been done now uh, with a number of psychobiological parameters. And actually, most of the more recent studies in, in development are now, all of them have these psychobiological parameters in addition to just purely the psychological ones. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and with me today is Dr. Alan Shore, a member of the clinical faculty of the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences at UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine and at the UCLA Center for Culture, Brain, and Development. We're discussing the mind-body connection in medicine. So, Dr. Shore, what would you say is the overarching purpose of the brain's evolution across the lifespan? Well, essentially, the purpose of the brain is to be able to regulate the internal states of the body in order to most adaptively be able to deal with changes in the external environment. And so, therefore, Flexibility and resilience would really be the key to an optimal mind-body-brain situation. 
The second thing is that we're now learning is that the more so than the intellectual left hemisphere rational verbal system, it's the nonverbal system, the emotional system of the emotional right brain, which seems to be really critical. That's to say that the changes in the environment that influence us mostly and that the, uh, in other words, I'm saying there are really two brains, the left brain and the right brain. But the changes that influence us most uh, deeply are the ones that are coming from other human beings, the ones that come from facial expression, from touch, and from the tone of the voice, sometimes are much more important than actually the, li the actual linguistic me mechanism of the voice. And the body detects these changes. It detects them very rapidly at levels beneath awareness, and again, these are changing depending upon the, the context. So in essence, the brain, which starts up early in the mother-infant relationship for the rest of the lifespan, literally is there. These two brains are there to be able to allow the organism to adapt to the social and the physical environment. In cases of early optimal attachments, uh, the brain is much more flexible and fluid. In cases where the beginnings of during the brain growth spurt are not as good, you're seeing very rigid systems which cannot adapt and therefore perhaps will stay into negative states and stress states for long periods of time. And is the brain neuroplastic after, say, age 30? Absolutely. At all points in the lifespan, actually, it's neuroplastic in utero, and it continues you know, until the, until the later decades. So the plasticity has something to do with the ability of the brain to shift its organization and it's sending its signals into the body. Uh, this is impacted by relationships. It's impacted by experiences. But again, I want to point out, really, there are two brains here. That means the kinds of experiences after 30 which impact the, in, the intellect and the cognition, et cetera, will enhance the functioning of the left hemisphere. But in order to enhance the functioning of the right hemisphere, and more and more as the attention is being paid to the right, that needs emotional experiences, the kinds of emotional experiences that we find in later life uh, associated with, uh, you know, with intimate relationships with children, et cetera, et cetera close friendships. How is it that experience affects the structure and the function of the brain? Well, in all, in all interactions, uh, let's say in the first interaction with the mother and the infant while the brain is in a massive growth spurt, the interactions between humans have psychobiological concomitants. That means that there are hormonal changes that are being uh, enacted rather quickly through, for example, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, through the pleasure systems, so you're getting alterations in neuromodulators like dopamine, you're getting alterations in stress hormones like cortisol. Cortisol also impacts the genomes. It impacts directly the nuclear genome as well as the mitochondrial genomes, etc. So it's through the psychobiological alterations the, the neuronal systems themselves are, are impacted, and this will affect, therefore, the synaptic connections between the brain, different areas within the brain, and that connectivity within the brain is really what allows for function. So here you see the translation of something psychological into something psychobiological, and therefore we're talking about the experience-dependent maturation of the brain but more and more we're looking at the social experiences having a key 
to the maturation of especially the emotional brain, the right brain, which is more connected into the body than the left hemisphere, just for the record. Could you illustrate this by describing how, let's say, a mother-infant interaction might affect the functional development of the child's brain? Right. Well, in the three books, first book, Affect Regulation and the Origin of the Self, um, essentially what I did was to put together two streams of science, so that is the psychological stream that was looking at the evolution of the child's psychological capacities over the first year of life, which are massive, especially the child's ability to regulate emotion, because that seems now to be more of the key of it than higher cognitions. And at the same time, looking at the brain in its growth spurt, because we know the brain growth spurt is from the last trimester of pregnancy through the second year of life. So now we're thinking about the experience-dependent maturation of the early developing right brain. The right brain comes online before the left. The left doesn't start till the second year. I want to thank Dr. Alan Shore, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the mind-body connection in medicine. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.